0: Church family, I invite you to open up in your copy of God's Word to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 6, Romans chapter 6, verse 23. is going to be our text for today, Romans 6, verse 23. The title of our message is The Good News, The Good News. Romans chapter 6, verse 23. God's word says this to us, church. For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I'm going to read that one more time. For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. This is the word of God for his church today. Father, would you impress the truth of your word upon our hearts? Make us humble before you. God, help us to receive this truth of the gospel today. God, I pray That if there is someone here today who has not believed in Jesus for salvation, that today they would hear the gospel. They would respond. in Repentance of sin and faith in Jesus. And God, for those of us who have trusted in Christ, God, would you remind us of the gospel? And how important it still is in our lives today as we seek to live holy lives for the glory of God. Of our Savior and King Jesus. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. The good news. The good news church. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthians. And he said this. I want to remind you. Of the gospel. I want to remind you of the gospel. And then he explained that gospel this way. He said, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Those words are found in first Corinthians at the beginning of chapter 15. We could go to Jesus who said this. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. We could go back to Paul in the opening of his letter to the Romans. He says this, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. That's Romans chapter one, verse 16. We'll go back to Jesus for just a moment. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 14, we find Jesus saying these words and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. And then we could turn our attention to the book of Acts. And there in the book of Acts, uh, Luke records for us the spread of this gospel. Acts chapter 8, verse 25. Now, when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. Acts chapter 8, verse 40. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Acts chapter 14, verse 21, when they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch church. The gospel is the central message of God's word, and it is to be the center of our lives as individual Christians and as the church. And today I simply want to remind us of this gospel. The word gospel means good news. It means good news. Good news. Gospel means good news. Every time you hear the word gospel in scripture, it means good news. There are many places in the Bible where we can turn to find this good news to explain to us. In one sense, the whole Bible is an explanation of this good news. But then there are particular verses and particular passages that really um, unpack for us what this gospel message is. And the one that I want us to look at today is Romans chapter 6, verse 23. In Romans chapter 6, verse 23, we have one of the most concise explanations of the gospel given in Scripture. I hope that if you have not already memorized Romans chapter 6, verse 23... That by the time we finish today, you will have it memorized. I'm going to say Romans 6, 23 several times. You have it there in front of you. Let's walk out of here having Romans chapter 6, verse 23 memorized. If we want to share the gospel with someone, we could share it using Romans chapter 6, verse 23. I may have said the wrong verse just a minute ago. If I did, I'm sorry. It's just in my mind. I think I may have said the wrong numbers. Romans 6, verse 23. There we go. Church, this is a verse that helped me understand the gospel when I was a child. Um, As far back as I can remember, um, this is a verse that helped me understand um, what this good news of Jesus was. It's the verse that helped me come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a verse I I love to use when sharing the gospel with other people. It's a verse that leads me even today um, to celebrate and continue celebrating what Jesus has done for me. If you're lost in your sin today, please hear me. And this is a verse that can lead you to believe in Jesus and be saved from your sin. And if you have been saved from your sin, if you are a Christian here today, it's a verse that will help us as Christians live out the gospel in our lives as we read this verse and study it in its broader context in the book of Romans. For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. If you want a main idea statement today, just write down Romans chapter six, verse twenty three. Okay, if you if you want to if you want to jot down a main idea, that's it. That is the main idea. For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I want to share with you four main truths today concerning the good news of the gospel that arise from Romans chapter six, verse twenty three. As we look at this verse and study it in its context here in chapter five, uh, excuse me, chapter six of Romans. The first truth is this church. Our sin earns us death. Our sin earns us death. I know that doesn't sound like good news, and it's not. You say, I thought we were talking about good news today. Well, we are. But this is where the verse starts, and this is where we have to start as we think about the good news, the gospel. For the wages of sin is death. Our sin earns us death. The word sin is a very important word for us to know when it comes to understanding the gospel of salvation. Uh, Church, if we don't, if we don't, have this word sin. And if we don't understand what it means, we don't understand the gospel, a gospel that that does not that's not deal with sin is no gospel. We don't want we not like to talk about sin. It may be something that we want to avoid in conversations with others, but we must be confronted with the truth about sin. Good news is only good news if we understand the bad news and the bad news of our lives centers around sin. And so what is it? What is Sin. Sin means missing the mark of God's holiness. That's what it means. It it, it literally is a word that means missing the mark and the mark that we are missing when we sin is the mark of God's holiness. My dad had me out in the yard shooting a bow and arrow, not much uh, longer, uh, not much past the time that I learned to walk. By the time I learned to walk, I had a bow, and I was walking around, and I was, I was shooting arrows, right? And I was shooting arrows at, uh, at a target. Ever since then, I have always enjoyed archery. It's one of the hobbies that I enjoy. Now, one of my daughters has taken up archery, and, and she really enjoys it. And I think some of the other ones probably will enjoy it once they get big enough to be able to hold a bow and pull it back. And so we go out and shoot. Um, and, uh, and the goal when we go out is, as is, you know this, is to hit what? Not just the target, but the bullseye. Right. We want to hit that center of the target. That is our goal. Anything else is a miss. We, we may say, well, that was close, but, but it was a it was a miss if we don't hit the bullseye. Sometimes we miss badly and sometimes we miss barely. But either way, if we fail to hit the bullseye, we have fallen short of the goal. We have fallen short of that mark. And church, when it comes to our relationship with God, God's holiness is Is the standard. That is the bullseye. It is the mark which we are to always hit. Every one of our thoughts, consider this every one of our thoughts, every one of our words, every one of our actions are like arrows, and every arrow must hit the bullseye of God's holiness if He is going to be able to accept us and welcome us into His presence. Now, maybe you're thinking, you mean the standard is perfection? Every thought, every word, every action hitting the bullseye of God's holiness. Perfection is the mark. We have to be perfect to be accepted by God. Yes, that's exactly what God's word teaches. That is exactly the standard. God is Perfect, And so it would be wrong for him to he would, in effect, be sinning if he accepted anything less than pure and perfect holiness. And that means we have a problem. And if and if you don't think you have a problem, you just prove that you have a problem. We are sinners. And if you're unwilling to admit that, that that in and itself is a sin. It's a lying to yourself, even the, the apostle John said we deceive ourselves if we say we have no sin. We are sinners, we have missed the mark of God's holiness in the words of Romans chapter three, verse twenty three, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That arrow has missed the mark and with missing the mark comes the consequence of missing the mark. That is death. Our sin earns us the consequence of death. You say, well, why is that the consequence? Why is death the consequence for, for, for falling short of God's glory, falling short of his holiness? Well, think about it this way God is life. He is life. There's no death in him. He he is he is life he, he has always existed. There's never been a time when he is not there never be, will be a time when he ceases to exist. He is like he is the author of life to be in relationship with God means to enjoy that life that is God. But when we fail to honor the holiness of God by missing the mark of his holiness, when we sin, we then forfeit the life that comes with being in relationship with the author of life. When we sin, we earn death. And and here's the thing. The death that we earn isn't merely uh, breathing our last breath and then just ceasing to exist. The death that is the consequence of our sin is is the opposite of enjoying the presence of God. It is separation from God forever. It is an eternal death where forever and ever we experience the horror of being rejected by God and pushed out of his presence and punished by him. Over and over, Jesus described the eternal dwelling place of those who die in their sin as a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. God is life to fall short of his glory and be rejected by him means to be be rejected from the life that he gives. But he's an eternal God. And so the just consequence for our sin is an eternal punishment, which is in a punishment. Where we experience the absence of. Of the joy of life that comes with living in the presence of God. And the bad news isn't merely that we commit sin, church. It goes even deeper than that. God's word is very clear that we are by nature sinners, that we are by nature objects of God's wrath. It's not that we come into this world and live perfectly until we 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 happen to commit a sin We come into this world already lost in our sin. You could back up to to Romans chapter five, beginning in verse 12. And there the apostle Paul explains that when Adam sinned, we all sinned. In other words, he was the representative of the race of humanity. And when he sinned, the entire race fell from the glory of God. We fell short of the glory of God. But lest we blame Adam, it's very clear that we also commit sin as well. And so we are doubly doomed, if you want to put it that way. We are doomed because of our connection to Adam and we are doomed because of our own choice to sin against God. And here's what that means. It means left to ourselves, we are hopelessly lost in our sin. And there's nothing that we can do to change our status as sinners deserving God's wrath. Left to ourselves, we are hopelessly lost in our sin. And there's nothing we can do to change our status as deserving of God's wrath, of God's punishment towards our sin. Our sin earns us death. We have to let that sink in for just a moment. It's true of every person on this planet. But praise God, the verse doesn't end there. Amen. Church, that is the bad news. But when we understand that bad news, it makes the good news the best news in all of the world. Truth number two, church, is this. God's grace provides us with life. Our sin earns us death, but God's grace provides us with life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. The wages of sin is death. But, but, here's the bad news, but there's good news. The free gift of God is eternal life. Even though it is true that left to ourselves, we are hopelessly lost in our sins, the good news of the gospel is that God has not left us to ourselves. God has intervened in our lives. He has stepped in with a solution to our problem of sin, and it is the only solution to the problem of our sin. See, God's the only one who could who could fix this problem. And he has offered one solution, not many, but one. And there's no one else that has offered any solution. There is one solution and God has offered it. He has graciously stepped in and provided us with a solution. And what is that solution? It is a free gift. It is a free gift of what? Eternal life. It's a free gift of life that replaces the death that we deserve. If the only thing our works earn is death and the only way we can have life instead of death is if that life comes to us as nothing other than a free gift. Because what do we do when we do things? We earn death. And so the only way we could ever have life is if it comes to us as a free gift. And that's exactly what this verse says God does. And the rest of Scripture testifies to this truth that God gives a free gift of eternal life. See, a wage, those words, the wages of sin is death. A wage is something that we earn, right? It is something you get as a result of something you did. But a gift is the opposite. A gift is something you get based not on what you've done, but on the kindness of the giver. It's not based on your will, but it's on the will, on the choice of the one who is giving the gift, choosing to give that gift out of the generosity of his or her heart. Right. That's what a gift is. It's the opposite of a wage. If I give you a gift and then I tell you, hey, here's a gift I, I wanted to give you. It's for helping me cut grass yesterday. Hmm. That's not a gift, right? You did work. You earned that gift. I might want to call it a gift, but it's not. You worked, right? It's really a wage. Maybe it was an unexpected wage. If I didn't tell you, I was going to pay you. But it's a wage nonetheless. A gift is only a gift if it is given freely. That is, if the giver is under no obligation to give you the gift because of something you have done to earn it. This text tells us that eternal life is a gift. And to emphasize what gift means, it calls it a free gift. It is a free gift of eternal life. Friends, we have done absolutely nothing to earn God's love, we've done nothing that would somehow obligate God to reward us or pay us with eternal life. Remember, we have missed the mark of his holiness. We don't deserve for God to give us eternal life in place of death. And yet that's exactly what God's provided. And so that's why I use this word grace, that God's grace provides us with life. We provide ourselves with death. God's grace provides us with life. Grace is when you get something good that you, you didn't deserve. It comes as, as, the, as a result of the, the will of the giver, if you will, the gift giver. Paul put it this way in Ephesians chapter two, verse eight and nine, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And Paul put it this way in his letter to Titus. He says he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. God gives a free gift. And notice what that gift is. It is eternal life. He gives us the exact opposite of what we deserve. We deserve But God gives us life and this life isn't just like a, a little bit longer lifespan here on this earth. That's not what it means. When the Bible speaks of eternal life, it means living in perfect relationship with God forever, enjoying the blessing of perfect harmony with our creator rather than enduring his wrath. That's what eternal life means. And we get to enjoy a taste of that eternal life now as Christians, as we are freed from our sin and no longer live under the weight of the condemnation, the guilt of our sin. When that burden of of our sin is lifted off of us, that is eternal life. We get to experience that right now. But but we'll get to experience that in all its fullness one day when Christ returns and we live in God's kingdom, the new heaven and new earth, in the dwelling place of God forever and ever. That is eternal life. And it is a free gift. Our sin earns us death. God's grace provides us with life. But but now there's a couple of questions that we've got to answer. I mean, that's good news, but but. That 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 makes me ask some questions about this bad news and good news. First is this. Does that mean that everyone in the world automatically has this free gift? Does that mean that everyone just has this gift of eternal life? It's just God gives it and he just kind of drops it off in everyone's lap. And then secondly, another question is this. How can a holy God give sinners life instead of death while remaining holy? In other words, if I'm guilty before God and God then doesn't punish me for my sin, does that make God bad? Like if God excuses my sin, then wouldn't he not be good? Because his holiness demands that. His wrath be poured out towards sin. So if he if he ignored my sin, then really he's acting contrary to his holy nature. So question one, does this gift just automatically apply? Is it applied to everyone's life? And then question two, how can God even do this? I think truth number three will help us answer these questions. Truth number three is this. The gift of eternal life, church, is found only in Jesus. The gift of eternal life is found only in Jesus. In Jesus, for the wages of sin is death. I told you I was going to say this verse a lot. You have to memorize before you leave for the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That last phrase is very, very important. God's free gift of eternal life is wrapped up in the person and work of Jesus, who is both Christ and Lord Christ, meaning he is the promised savior, Lord, meaning he is the king of heaven and earth. I want to actually start with the second of those two questions. How can a holy God give sinners life instead of death while he remains holy? The answer is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. When God gives a sinner a free gift of eternal life, it's not because God chooses to ignore the sin. Instead, it's because he chose to punish his son instead of the sinner. Jesus died for our sin. Jesus died in our place. God the Father did pour out his wrath towards our sin. He didn't just ignore it. He doesn't sweep our sin under the rug. He doesn't stuff it in the closet. Right. He deals with it. But He deals with it in such a way that we can be forgiven. How is that? He poured His wrath out upon His Son. I just want you to listen to how God's Word describes Jesus taking our place. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 through 25. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Here comes the substitutionary language whom God, talking about Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation It's a fancy word, just basically means payment for sin. He put him forward as a payment by his blood to be received by faith. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse twenty one. For our sake, he made him talking about Jesus to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It's not just that God looked at us and said, I'm going to ignore your sin and make you righteous. He couldn't do that. He had to make Jesus our sin. He made him who knew no sin to be sin, our sin. So that in him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. That is, we could be accepted by God as perfect as hitting the mark of holiness, even though we had not. First Peter, chapter three, verse 18, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. You see that substitutionary language for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. Isaiah, chapter fifty three. Verses four through six, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted that he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And by his stripes, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord, Yahweh God, has laid on him, this suffering servant, Jesus, the Messiah, the iniquity of us all. How can God not, how can God punish us, excuse me, how can God not punish us for our sin and at the same time stay, remain a holy and perfect God? By pouring out his wrath upon his only begotten son instead of upon us. This free gift of eternal life is in Christ Jesus, our Lord, it is through the death of of Jesus, that we can have eternal life. And there is no other way. There's no other alternative. Jesus is the only one who has taken our place in death and endured God's wrath on our behalf. He's the only one who has been a perfect substitute sacrifice for us. And he is the only one who has conquered death. Yes, Jesus died in our place uh, on the cross, but he didn't stay dead. He rose up from the dead. He conquered death with life, which means he is able to replace the death that we deserve with the life. And it's the life of Jesus. It's the resurrected life of the one who has conquered the grave forever and ever and ever. Only Jesus has died for sin and risen from the dead. And therefore, salvation is only in Christ Jesus, our Lord. As Paul says in Romans chapter six, verse 23. But that then leads to the second question. Really, it was the first question, but we're going to look at them in reverse order, right? That leads to that other question. Does this mean that everyone in the world automatically gets this free gift of eternal life? And church, the answer is no. The very clear answer of the Bible is no. Because this free gift of eternal life is in Christ Jesus, our Lord, then you can only have that eternal life if you have Christ Jesus, our Lord. It is completely wrapped up in the person and work of Christ. If you don't have Jesus, then you don't have this eternal free gift of eternal life, which means the question then becomes, how do you have Jesus? If he is the way that I can have this eternal life, then how do I have him? Well, do you have to read your Bible a certain number of times or or go to church a certain number of times or or say a certain prayer or try to be a better person or or do more good things than bad things or or give some money to a good cause or you fill in the blank with whatever kind of good work we might would think would would earn us Jesus. We've already seen that none of these can be the way to eternal life. None of these can be the way to to this to this Jesus because eternal life is a free gift. Remember, it's not something that we earn. It's something that we receive as a gift. So how do we get this Jesus if we don't work for him? And the answer is this, church. It is through faith. It is through faith. We receive it through faith. Paul has already spoken about this need for faith extensively in chapters three and four. Do you want to go and read um, just a, a very detailed and incredible explanation of faith rooted in the Old Testament and then applied to us in the new as followers of Christ? Go back and read uh, chapter three and chapter four. Faith isn't a good work we do. So you have to do something to be saved. Well, you have to have faith. You don't do nothing in the sense that it's just. You just keep on sinning and and just God just gives you a gift of eternal life. But you just keep on sinning. You do have to do something. But the thing that you have to do is really doing nothing. Here's what I mean by that. If faith isn't a good work, we do it's it's the opposite of a good work, because faith is admitting that there is nothing good that we could do that would earn God's love and then trusting that God has done all the work himself that's necessary to save us from sin through Jesus, his son. It's simply receiving the gift. It's welcoming Jesus into our lives as the solution to our problem of sin, admitting that there's no other way. There's nothing we can do to earn it. Or we can think about it this way. The faith that receives God's free gift of eternal life is characterized by resting in the finished work of Jesus. This this way of thinking about faith really helps me differentiate the, this act of faith and differentiate that from a good work that I would do because it's actually an act of rest. It's actually saying I can't do it, but I'm going to rest upon the finished work of Jesus on the cross. Receiving eternal life is kind of like being handed the keys to a new house. It's not a house you have to build. It's not even a fixer upper that you have to finish. It's all done. It's all done. Someone else did all the work. You just have to take the keys and go live in it, believing that the builder's work is trustworthy. And and by the way, it's that house has already been paid for. There's nothing else owed on it. Church, this gift of God, this eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord is the greatest gift we've ever been given. It's greater than all the fame in this world. It's greater than all the the money in this world. It's greater than all the power we could get in this world, which means we ought to desire this gift of eternal life more than anything else in all of the world. And we ought to do whatever it takes to get this eternal life. And what it takes is actually something that Jesus did. Jesus dying in our place and rising from the dead and then us receiving what he did as the solution to our problem of sin there's no other way to be saved the question is simply this will we receive the work that Christ has done on our behalf will we receive the intervention of God for us will we receive this gift through faith in Jesus there's one more truth that we need to understand in order to have a complete picture of the good news friends God's gift of salvation is not just a ticket into heaven one day with no impact on our lives right now No, God's gift of eternal life is a life is a gift that changes us the moment that we trust in Jesus for salvation. And it's a gift that keeps changing us every day until that day when we're finally changed to be like Jesus, because we'll see him as he is. The scripture tells us if I went from being homeless to being handed the keys to a brand new house, listen, my lifestyle would change. I wouldn't move into the new house, but then still sleep outside and not wash my clothes and not get a shower and not cook food in the kitchen. No, if I went to, from being homeless to having this house to live in, you would be able to look at me and tell this person's no longer homeless. There would be a change that took place in my life. You would be able to see the difference. And friend, in a far greater way, when we go from being dead in our sin to alive in Christ, when we go from being objects of God's wrath to being his adopted children, when we receive God's free gift of eternal life through faith in Jesus. Guess what? Our lives look different. Truth number four is this the gift of eternal life produces the fruit of righteousness. The gift of eternal life produces the fruit of righteousness. Romans chapter 6, verse 23 is not just this verse, it's just hanging out there in, in mid-air. It has a context around it. And what's incredible is that the context around this verse is not actually calling people to trust in Jesus for salvation. The, call, the, the context around this verse That explains the gospel is calling people who have trusted in Jesus to stop sinning and to live lives full of good works, live lives that bring God glory and honor. The immediate context is Paul addressing the wrong belief that if God's grace covers our sin. This is a wrong belief that he's addressing. If God's grace covers our sin, then we can just sin all we want. If the law of God is no longer condemning us because Jesus has saved us, then God's law must not matter in our lives. And Paul's answer is emphatically no. That is missing the point entirely, the point of salvation. Remember, eternal life is found in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You can't have eternal life without having Jesus. But friend, Jesus is perfectly righteous, which means you can't have Jesus and keep your sin too. Eternal life in Christ Jesus is inseparable from the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Which means when God unites us to Jesus, he delivers us from our sins so that we'll no longer look like dead in sin people. But we will now look like alive in Jesus. People we will look like people who have been saved from our sin, not saved to sin. And this is good news. I don't know about you, but I don't want to live in sin. I don't want to live in that life that produces death. Verses 15 through 22, Paul explains that we are lost in our sin and, and 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 that when when that is true of us, we are actually enslaved to our sin, and our lives produce the fruit of sin, which leads to death. But when God sets us free from sin, He becomes our new master. We're no longer enslaved to sin; in a way, we're enslaved to God, which is a really, really good thing to be enslaved to the God who loves us enough that He would sacrifice His own Son to rescue us from sin. And so our lives will produce. The fruit of our new master, the fruit of Jesus. Paul says, what then are we to sin? because we are not under law, but under grace by no means? Do you not know, verse 16, that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who once were slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. That that obedient from the heart means there's been a heart change that has taken place in you that God is responsible for, not you. God did that heart change. I. He says in verse 18, And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. Now, where sanctification means to be set apart from the sin that you once lived in, to be set apart from the sin of this world. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. In other words, there was nothing in you that was compelling you towards righteousness because all you had in you was your sin nature, which compelled you towards sin. But what fruit, verse 21, were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? But what what was coming as a result of that in your life? Death, it says. What fruit were you getting for the end of those things is death? Verse 22. But now that you have been set free from sin, have become slaves of God. The fruit you get leads to sanctification that is being set apart from our sin and its end eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. In other words, when sin ruled your life, it produced what sin always produces, death. But now you live in a new house. Now you have a new master. And so your life looks different. Your life produces fruit that sets you apart from that sin that once controlled you. Your life produces fruit that looks like eternal life, not death. Your life produces works of righteousness, not works that are called sin, falling short of the holiness of God. It's actually in that context that Paul gives this gospel sentence that we've been studying and memorizing. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The good news, the gospel, the gift of salvation does not come as a result of our works, but it does produce good works. In other words, church, the gospel is not only for lost people. The gospel is for saved people as well. Christians, the gospel gets rid of sin and replaces it with righteousness. And it keeps doing that in our lives. We ought to come back to the gospel over and over, church, to remind us that our good works have done nothing to earn us our salvation. And at the same time, we come back to the gospel over and over and over again to remind us that we are to be passionately Pursuing a life of good works because of the change that God has brought about in our lives in rescuing us from sin through this free gift of salvation. Yes, it is a free gift, but it is a gift that changes our lives. Yes, we are to put away sin and live holy lives, but only after we have received God's free gift of salvation, we don't earn eternal life. But when we receive it as a free gift from God, we then live it out. Every day of our lives. The gift of eternal life. Produces the fruit of righteousness. Church this is the good news. Our sin earns us death. God's grace provides us with life. The gift of eternal life. Is found only in Jesus. And the gift of eternal life. Produces the fruit of righteousness. At the beginning I said this. About Romans chapter 6 verse 23. I said this. I said if you are lost in your sin today. Then this verse. is can lead you to salvation. And I also said this. If you have trusted in Christ and you are a Christian today, then this verse can lead us to more and more holiness in our lives. It can lead us to submit to God and allow him to push sin out of our lives and pull in his holiness. You see, here's the thing. Every one of us falls into one of those two groups. And both of those two groups need the gospel. You need the gospel. I need the gospel. Now, let me just ask you which group are you in? Because that's going to determine how you respond to the gospel. Have you trusted in Jesus Christ for salvation? That means, have you looked at your life and said, I am a sinner. I deserve God's punishment. But I believe that God loved me so much that he sacrificed his only son to pay the price for my sin. And I'm going to trust in what Jesus did to save me. And he's going to come into my life and he's going to become the, the Christ. That is the savior. And he's become the Lord. That is the king of my life. Christ Jesus, our Lord. Have you trusted in Jesus? And if you haven't. And the only right response today is for you to believe in Jesus for salvation, for you to reach out your hands that have only sin in them and say, God, that's all I have to offer. But I'm going to receive your gift of salvation today and I'm going to believe in Jesus. I'm going to be saved because you love me so much. And if you have already trusted in Christ. Then please don't think this gospel is only for the people in here who haven't trusted in Jesus. Because our lives ought to look like Jesus, church. And so my question for you then, Christian, is what sin is there in your life that the gospel needs to push out today? No, you don't need to get re-saved. We don't do that. Once God saves a person, he saves them. But he keeps working on that saved person to push out that sin and pull in his holiness. And so what sin does God need to push out of your life today? And what holiness does he need to push in? Where in your life are you missing the mark? You've been rescued. You've been set free. But man, God is worthy. Christ who died for us is worthy of us to hit that mark of holiness with our lives. And we have this Holy Spirit who helps us do that. And so what, what sin do you need to confess to the Lord? How, where do you need to get back on track with God's help so that you can look like somebody who's been handed that keys to that new house? You can look like somebody who's been clothed with the righteousness of Jesus. I ask if you would to bow your heads, close your eyes. First, which group are you in? Have you trusted in Jesus or have you not? Have you believed in Jesus for salvation? And if you haven't, and today God is calling you to salvation, would you just confess your sin to the Lord? Admit to Him that you are a sinner? Would you thank Him for sending Jesus to save you? When you ask God to change your heart, not because you deserve it, but because he loves you and because Christ has died for you and risen from the grave. Would you ask him to forgive you of your sins and come in and give you new life forever and ever, that eternal life that we've been talking about today? And if you have trusted in Jesus right now, would you, would you even be specific and ask the Lord to forgive you of the sin that's, That you've still been practicing, that's there, maybe even something this week or something this morning. And would you ask the Lord to forgive you? And would you thank Him that He still loves you and that His grace still covers you? And you ask Him to help you produce the fruit of righteousness in your life through the gospel? would open your eyes and just look at me for a moment if you've trusted in jesus christ for salvation today we say praise the lord we say praise the lord and we want to know about it in a minute you're going to have an opportunity maybe for the first time in your life to sing to jesus as somebody who belongs to jesus And you sing out and you give praise for what God has done in your heart today. And then as soon as we're finished, I want you to come and I want you to tell me, I want you to say, Zach, this is what God's done in my life today. I've trusted in Jesus. And that way I can help you with those next steps, what it means to be a follower of Christ. In church, if, if today God has burned your heart for a certain area of your life where you're not living out the gospel Let's sing these songs rejoicing in the fact that God still loves us even when we fail him. But let's also sing these songs out as a prayer that we need the Lord each and every day to keep pushing out that sin and pulling in his holiness all by his grace. And perhaps even as we sing, church, God would lay on our hearts somebody that needs to hear this gospel message. See, one of my desires in preaching this message today Was to call the lost to be saved. One of my desires was to call the saved. To look like saved people. But another one of my desires was just to help. Help us learn and be trained up to share this gospel with other people. You don't have to say it exactly as I just said it. Just take Romans 6 verse 23 and you explain it. To somebody. And tell them how they can be saved through Jesus. Maybe as we pray, you need to ask the Lord, God, give me the boldness to go this week and share this gospel with this person who needs to be saved from their sin.